Open your Bibles to, guess where? Yeah, yeah, y'all are catching on, catching on. I know some of you, uh, it's interesting, there's some people who love this kind of Bible study, this kind of preaching where we just keep coming back to the same passage and taking a slow walk through. Others I know are a little more, uh, what's where, ADHD, <laughs> they're just like, okay, we've read that, we've done this, Let, let's move on. Um, I'd like to do a little bit of both all the time, I think it's healthy, but I really do love this kind of slow walk through Scripture, and I know that... Uh, I'm doing very small passages, and we do them in Sunday school, and we come back around to them. But again, especially in these early verses of Romans chapter 8, this is really, really dense, deep theological uh, truths. And, uh, and it, none of us is going to get it the first reading. None of us is going to get it in our whole lives. Uh, we can keep coming back and finding more and more uh, theological meat to, to digest. So uh, I, th- I think this is good for us. We're going to pick up tonight in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Let's start right there. Anybody ever been in debt? I mean, like really bad, serious debt. Um, you don't really have to talk about it. We'll take up an offering, I guess, if, 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 you, if you tell us a sad story. Um, yeah, what's it like to be in debt? Just, yeah, it's just really awful. But why is this so awful? It's just the burden of it, just the burden of knowing that you owe what you cannot pay. And if you have 50 cents in your pocket, knowing that it's already spent, it's already gone, it's already owed, and it's just horrible, horrible. I don't know if all of you relate to that. Uh, It's something like what happens, uh, my son today, he's he's in for fall break, fall break ends today, tomorrow classes resume. He's had a pretty chill week. He thought that he was ready. He thought that he was kind of had earned the right to take the break by studying hard and he has studied really hard. (laughs) But today, somewhere before he got to church, one of his friends from seminary texted him and said, what about that paper that's due Monday? Have you, have you guys started on that paper? And Wade was like, Monday? Because he thought it was Friday. So all of a sudden, like Wade's whole, you know, church is ruined. All of today is ruined because he was going to be at church. He's driving home. He's working tonight. He's got class in the morning. He's working tomorrow afternoon. And then the papers do. There's no chance to write that paper. And then he got stuck in traffic. He sat like, you know, on the way to Louisville for an extra two hours today. So uh, that awful panicky feeling. Now, he, Wade's feeling it today in real time, in real life. But I've been out of school now for, for 20 years, you guys. But I can still have that night. Did anybody have it where, where I walk into class? Like, I mean, I've been out of college forever, but I can still have a nightmare dream where I'm, I'm in the college class and, and they pass out the test and I'm like, <gasps> I haven't studied. You know, anybody have that nightmare dream? Uh, just me is probably medication for it if it's just me. <laughs> It's just that anxiety of, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm not prepared. I can't do this. I'm, I'm sunk. Uh, yeah, it, that's the kind of feeling that Paul taps into in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, when he says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no debt. The word he uses is debt. You have no obligation to your sinful nature. Let's pick up right there and read all the way through verse 17, y'all. This is about to get so good. I'm liking it already, but it's about to get so good. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no debt. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. 
But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are, say the word, children of God. That's good. We just turned a corner right there. So if you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, instead you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children, not slaves, but children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we share, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share his glory, we must also share his... Yeah... Yeah, boy, way to ruin a good passage right there, right right there. We were sharing glory for just a moment, and then we got to suffering. Uh, We'll we'll get around to that. I I said last week that whenever you run into a therefore in Scripture, it's, it's a rule of biblical interpretation, you're always supposed to do what? Figure out what it's there for. Yeah, it's connecting something. So let's go back. We read it this morning. What did Paul just say in verse 11? He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And how does he illustrate the power that that is at work in us? It's the same power, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He will give to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So that power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's going to raise you one day. And that power is already at work in you. All right. So therefore, therefore, you have no debt, no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges, urges you to do. Remember back in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about the slavery of sin. Uh, wretched man that I am, all the things I want to do, I'm never able to do. The things that I don't want to do, I, I continually do. I, I'm a wretched slave to sin, but no more. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. I'm not a slave anymore. And Paul's continuing to try to drive that home to you. You have power now. You are not a hopeless, helpless slave to sin. It is not that the devil makes you do it. The devil can't make you do anything. And it's not that you are hopelessly addicted. It's not that you have no power. You have no power in yourself, but you have the Holy Spirit living in you now. You have power. And so you have no debt. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So it's like in my nightmare when the test is laid out, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I've got to take this test. I'm going to flunk this test. Paul says that when the sinful nature puts something in front of you, you have a choice now. You are not obligated to follow the sinful nature. You're not obligated to fall in the face of temptation. You have power now. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's going to raise you from the dead one day. And if it can raise you from the dead, it can certainly help you get through this temptation can certainly help you resist the sinful nature. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, and a good word, that the sinful nature is like a dictator, always telling you what you've got to do. But this is, you know, the jokes on the sinful nature. You don't have to do it. But if you do, you'll die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And let's back up. 
Where does this life and death language come from? Because Paul's been using it now for several verses. It goes back, let's go all the way back to, say, verse 10. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life. So Paul's talking about this life and death. Verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, that Spirit lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. For if you live by the dictates of the sinful nature, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature and you'll live. What's this language for? The life and death, what's he talking about? Yeah, Claude, help us. This is not physical death that Paul is referring to here. This is spiritual, the spiritual death of the person uh, in the judgment where Christ judges us. And if we die there, it's what we call the second death. That is the death that cast those uh, into the lake of fire. Yeah. That's the condemnation that Paul is referring to here. Yeah. There is physical death. You get hit by a bus and and die. But there's also spiritual death, Claude reminds us. There's spiritual death. And spiritual death is anything to worry about, right? Because, you know, you get to still, you know, go to work tomorrow. So spiritual death is just what the preachers kind of scare us with. You know, if you sin, you'll die. But we all know, you know, you can live a good long time and be a rotten sinner. I mean, you know, don't y'all know some old sinners? Man, they're doing pretty well. You know, I mean, turn on the presidential debate tonight. We've got old sinners everywhere and they're, they're doing great. You know, they're famous. They're going to be powerful. I mean, and they're sinners, y'all. And they're old. You know, apparently sin doesn't necessarily lead to death. Right? Eventually, Larry says, so sometime later they're going to get what's coming to them. But right now, you know, if they eat right, eat their brand, get some exercise, do some yoga, you can live a long time in sin. But what about what Claude says? What's, what's this spiritual death thing? Is it possible that even though my outward body seems to be functioning with, with some measure of health and stamina, that I could still be somehow dying on the inside by inches? When God told Adam and Eve in the garden, if you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. Was he speaking poetically or figuratively? Or is there something very, very true about the fact that once they refused to live within God's boundaries, something in them quickly turned dark? Is there such a thing as spiritual death? And if so, why do we worry about it? Because eternity hinges on it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the life and the death. It's, it's not just that, that, that there is a spiritual death. There's also spiritual life. And this is the gospel. It's not just that Jesus saves me so that I can have eternal life in heaven. That eternal life starts now. The Holy Spirit's doing something in my life now that would not be possible apart from my salvation. Salvation isn't just a a ticket to heaven or a get out of hell free card. You understand? That that death is real in this life and the life that Christ gives is real in, in, in this life. There is a way in which we can talk about as believers that that there are always things dying inside of us and always things coming to life. 
And the important part of following the Spirit is making sure that the right things are being put to death and the right things are, are, are coming to life within us. This is what Paul is saying. That if you live by the dictates of the sinful nature, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. So by following the power of the Spirit, I can literally kill things inside of me. I, I, I can kill them dead, the, the deeds of the sinful nature. I, I can literally kill the sinful nature by following the Spirit. There are things in me that just need to die. That's what Paul talks about. I've been crucified with Christ. It's a kind of spiritual death. Paul says, I die every day. I die daily. It's that continuing going back and, and putting to death the sinful nature. It's what we picture in baptism. You're buried with Christ. There's, a, there's an old you, the sinful nature, that is dead and buried. This is a problem with a lot of us. We call ourselves Christians, but we've never died to self. We've never died to the sinful nature. Some of you, your sinful nature never even got sick. I mean, it hadn't died. It hadn't gotten weak. I mean, you're still just flying strong. But this is the life of the Spirit. You live by the power of the Spirit, and you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature inside of you. So this, this language of life and death, it's, it's the gospel. It's gospel language. We talk about the power that raises Jesus from the dead. That's the same power at work now in you to bring uh, the fruit of the Spirit, to, to bring this new self into life and, and inside your soul. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Yeah, I said we turn a corner right there and we do. Paul now is going to be on this idea of, of what it means to be um, a, a child. What's the alternative? If, if we weren't children of God, what would we be? Well, what's the analogy he's making or the comparison? Slaves, yeah, slaves. We're not slaves, we're, we're, we're children. There's a big difference, there's a big difference. Now first off, what's the sign of belonging in Christ? What's the sign of belonging? We could say baptism, but that's not really it. Baptism is an important way of, of, of obeying Christ and initiating your, your life in the Spirit. But what is the actual sign that you belong to Christ? Yeah, it's the Spirit. It's the presence of the Spirit. When you experience salvation in Christ, He gives you His Spirit. And that Spirit is, is the sign. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Paul said it earlier today. Remember that those, back in verse 9, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Christ at all. So it's the Holy Spirit that's the sign of belonging. Now, curiously, go back to the Old Testament. In the former covenant before Christ, what was the sign of belonging? Yeah, circumcision. We won't draw you a picture of that, but just try to make the comparison. What's the difference between circumcision as a sign of belonging to, to God's family and, and having the Spirit? What's the difference? One is a physical, you know, different circumcision is an outward sign that would only be possible for half the human race. It's, it's an outward sign for men. Well, let's just be honest. It's, it only applies to men. It's, it's an outward sign, but 
but what about the Spirit? What's the difference between the Holy Spirit as the sign of belonging? It's, it's internal, so it's not outward. So you can't really tell by looking. Yeah, actions are outward. And this is what Paul keeps saying. It's going to act out. If you're following the sinful nature, you're going to do the deeds of the sinful nature. But if you're following the Spirit, you're going to live a very different kind of life. I mean, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. And the Spirit will bear fruit in your life. So it's not that it's invisible. It's not that you can't know. If you're truly following the Spirit, it's going to be a sign to people. All through the book of Acts, when people received the Holy Spirit, I mean, there was no question. It, it changed the way they lived their lives. If, if what you call the Holy Spirit in your life hasn't changed the way you live your life, you really need to go back to what Paul says. If you really don't have the Spirit of God living in you, you may not belong to Christ at all. The Spirit makes a difference, and it is not an invisible sign, although it is an inward presence. Yeah. What else? Obviously, it's, it's, it's for everybody, men, women, boys, girls, old people, young people. I mean, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. That's the beauty of what Christ has done. Now, notice what Paul says. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, either way, you belong to God, right? You could be a fearful slave or you could be a, a, a beloved child, but either way, you belong. What's the difference? Which would you rather be? Fearful slave, beloved child, favorite son, favorite daughter. Yeah, of course you want to be the favorite son, the favorite daughter. Yeah. Slaves don't get the inheritance. Actually, in some cultures, the slaves might be part of the inheritance. You know, you, you get the house and the slaves, you know. So slaves are property. Yeah, but a child has inheritance rights. Yeah. That, that word fearful slave, yeah. There are a lot of people, and I just say, you, you all, you've all seen them. Sometimes we are those people that really serve God still like fearful slaves. We, we do things out of, out of duty, and duty is not a bad reason to do things, but Christ wants so much more for you. We do things out of fear of punishment. We just do things out of drudgery. But, but, but that's not the way the Spirit calls us. That's not the way Christ intended that we belong to his family. There's joy here. Instead, you receive God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. What does that mean? Verse 16, his spirit joins with our spirit. So that we can affirm that we are God's children. What's that mean? His spirit joins with my spirit. Us in him and he in us. There's this incredible unity. Our spirit joins with his spirit. Yeah, that's good. Us in him, he in us. What else? His spirit joins with my spirit to affirm that I belong to Christ. What's that mean? Assurance. It's absolute assurance. Absolute assurance. What makes it so absolute? He speaks to us. Yeah, it's, it's that inward presence we talked about this morning. That that inward presence. What else? Keep going. 
His spirit joins with my spirit. God only sees his spirit when he looks on you. Wow, so when he looks at me, he, he sees me as, as, as a dwelling of his own spirit. He sees me as with the righteousness of Christ. Yeah, that, that old me died, and now he just sees his child righteous in Christ. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. What else? His spirit joins with my spirit. Yeah, access, always have access to him. He's, he's our father. We don't have to make an appointment. We just come boldly before him. Yeah, crying out, Abba, Father. Yeah. His spirit joins with my spirit. My spirit, of course, is inward. So again, it's this, it's this important quality that the Holy Spirit is God's inward presence. He's in me. Joined with my own spirit. Uh, us in him and he in us, as, as dad says. But, but this is the affirmation. This is what gives us confidence. So in other words, his spirit is so joined with my spirit that there's just no doubt. I, I know. I know that I belong to him. I, I know it on the inside. I don't know it because somebody told me. I know it because the Holy Spirit is inside of me calling out to God the Father. I, I mean, I can't deny this. There's no question. He is as close to me as my own breath. His spirit is now joined with my spirit in such a way that I died and he lives in me. You see, this is not an iffy sort of thing. Am I or, or, or am I not? I mean, you're going to know. You received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. Y'all ever inherited anything? Always joking, everybody comes to the church and their last name's Harris. I say, man, I hope you're my rich uncle. Because, man, I ain't got no rich uncles. Man, there, there are no Harrises with money. Related to me. Now, Don Harris may have money, but if he, the joke's on us if he dies and leaves it because it's probably in coffee cans in the barn, you know, and in the garage, you know. What's that? Unmarked, Unmarked coffee cans. Yeah. Yeah. Dad probably is a millionaire, you know, with uh, all of it in coffee cans somewhere in the garage. Uh, yeah. So we'll all die broke. Um, yeah, please. Yeah, just the pride of a father in, in his son and, and that kind of legacy, that kind of inheritance. Yeah, that kind of pleasure that the child brings the heart of the father. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. We always think about an inheritance, how wonderful it would be to find out that somebody with a whole lot of money died and left it all to you. Uh, how amazing that would be. Well, this is what Paul's talking about here. You're adopted into the family of God, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, uh, the one who is beyond even money, his, his wealth. Uh, I mean, he owns it all. And you're his child, which means now you are heir to it all. You are heir to everything that Christ is heir to. Do you see that? In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. I mean, we inherit everything that belongs to God because we're in this family. Now, how do we get in this family? Let's remind ourselves. How do we get here? Yeah, we're adopted. We're adopted. 
Yeah. My sister used to terrify me by saying, well, we adopted, you were adopted. You, know, you, know, you were adopted. It was wishful thinking, wasn't it? Surely. And sometimes I looked at my family and thought, Lord, I hope I am adopted. I, I wish I was ad- adopted. Yeah. It's just this sense of we don't really belong here. I mean, we were chosen and brought into this family, but honestly, man, we don't belong here. We still stick out. We, we, we are still, you know, we don't really resemble the father yet. I mean, we stick out at, at the family gatherings. I mean, we're adopted. We don't really belong in this family except that Christ says, come on in. You know, come on in. He's with me. She's with me. Christ makes this possible. We're adopted into this family now. And not only do we have a place at the table, we are joint heirs with Christ, which means everything that's coming to Christ, it's coming to us too. I mean, that's amazing. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us. So, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share His glory... Yeah, we must also share his suffering. If you want everything that belongs to Christ, the cross is part of it. And if you think that's bad news, you really don't understand the gospel. To share in his sufferings, that's not bad news. That's not bad news. It is his glory that we share. And this is the path to glory. Yeah, we're gonna. I'm leaving you hanging because verse 18 is so good. You are this gets so good from here. We're gonna talk about future glory. We get to do that next Sunday morning. So uh, uh, don't miss it. Uh, if you haven't yet started the daily devotion, it's only 10 days long. So uh, pick up a book on your way out and get started. You can still pick up on that thing and, and read through that. Follow the, the the small group guide. Who wrote the lesson for next week, Warren? Mark McElroy is up for next week. Yeah, all good writers. Mark writes for next week. So be ready for small group next week and be ready for what God has for us in Romans 8 next week. Uh, I love you guys so much. It's been a good Sunday. I had a really, really good Sunday. Uh, let's, uh, let's close it uh, with one more word of prayer to the Lord. Yeah, Claude? Yeah. That's not in there, but I think it's implicit that that it's there. We don't see much in scripture of that that heavenly struggle between God and Satan. Right, but it's real. But it's but it's very real. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's happening. And the Holy Spirit marks us spiritually. Yeah. The the enemy knows who we belong to because we're marked by a spirit. Yeah, it's invisible to our eyes, but not in the, in the realm of the Spirit. When God sends the angels out together in the four winds of the earth, it's that mark. Yeah, the mark of the Spirit. Yeah. It's in the book of Ephesians, Claude, where Paul talks about the Holy Spirit being like uh, the engagement ring. I think that's the word he uses. Uh, it's the sign of that the, the we're pledged to him, and the Spirit marks us like an engagement ring on, on, a, on the beloved. Yeah. Uh, Let's pray. You all, let's pray.